Daniel chapter 9, we're going to pick it up in verse 24, and we probably won't get out of that. So stand by. There's a lot of things that we want to take our time when we go through Daniel, the book of Daniel anyways, and particularly in chapter 9. So if we back up a little bit and we consider uh, Daniel 9 and the purpose and the reason behind writing Daniel 9, we don't want to forget that. So if you look at, uh, just just um, look up the page, Daniel 9, uh, verse 1, and scripture lays out for us that uh, Daniel is writing this in the third, uh, oh, I mean, that's chapter 1, that'll never work. Daniel 1, 1, let's try it again, 9, 1. Okay, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent, a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the book the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. So, Daniel chapter 9 is a little bit distinct from the other chapters of Daniel, where we're going to be looking at visions that Daniel has. We're going to be looking at direct words that God gave to, the, to Daniel as a prophetic word. Daniel chapter 9 is not that. Daniel chapter 9 is Daniel reading the Bible, discovering that he's been in Babylon for 70 years, and that uh, Jeremiah had written that they would only be in captivity for 70 years. And so Daniel is concerned like you know whenever we know let's for example if god told you you're going to be in exile for 70 years you may want to know when the date when when does he count from right like for example if you'd already been in captivity for 30 years and god said you're going to be here 70 years you want to know if the first 30 counted right or is it the next what's going on and when daniel is thinking about this 70 years and, and what's going on. The rest of Daniel, 9 through 23, or verse 1 through 23, is Daniel praying to God. And you need to understand why Daniel's praying to God. Because Daniel's worried. He's concerned. Because Daniel reads the Bible. And Daniel knows what the Bible says in Leviticus 26. Do you guys have Leviticus 26 memorized? So Leviticus 26 is a section, you, you can go there, I'll let you. I think I actually have that verse in there. I'm not there yet, but I'll get back to it. In Leviticus uh, chapter 26, you have the blessings and the cursings. And Leviticus 26 from verse 14 to the end of it, which is, you know, like 40 some verses, I think. From verse, how, how far? 46. So you're going from 14 to 46, that's the cursing. 1 to 14, that's the blessing. Now, here's what the Lord repeats in the book of Leviticus over and over again. And you may understand why Daniel's concerned. Uh, verse 14 of Leviticus 26, But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these things, uh, all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes, if your soul abhors my rules, so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic. A wasting disease, fever that consumes the eyes and makes the heart ache. And you will sow your seed in vain. Your enemies will eat it. 
And I will set my face against you, and you will be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. And if you still won't listen, this is the important part, if you still will not listen to me, I will discipline you again seven times for your sins. Now, he's going to repeat that phrase in Leviticus 26, um, at least in, this, in the section I have out in front of me four times. So the Lord's going to say, I'm going to do this. And if you won't listen to me, I'm going to discipline you seven times. And then he goes on again. So you might understand Daniel's question might be, are we doing 70 years of captivity or 70 times 7? Which is going to matter later on when we get to 77s are determined for your people, right? So ultimately, what, what I believe the angel Gabriel is laying out for us as we look at that section, we understand why Daniel's, so this is not a vision God gave him. This is Daniel reading the Bible and going, whoa, we've been here almost 70 years and we're not going home yet. So what, what's going on, Lord? And so Daniel prays to God, right? Forgive us, Lord, and forgive me for my sins. One of the greatest prayers that there is in the Bible, that whole chapter 9, you know, 1 through uh, 23. Uh, 20 to 23 is actually Gabriel coming and giving him an answer. But the cool thing about it, I, I was listening to a rabbi today, which I do sometimes, and um, the rabbi was saying in, in his view, in, a, in the rabbi's thought, that the Bible tells us when Daniel started to pray, God sent Gabriel. But he holds him until the prayer's over. And in the rabbinical thought, the, the thought was, this prayer is so beautiful, God wants to hear it all. And so he lets the whole, the whole prayer go through. And, he, and, and so he, he speaks it all. And then Gabriel tells Daniel, you're much beloved, right? God, God loves you, and he wants you to understand so when we look at Daniel 9, just have it in your head. This is not a vision. This is an answer from God to Daniel about his concern about what's going on with the 70 years. We're still here. Babylon's gone. Okay, so if we look at, just back up when we're considering the 77s, Jeremiah 25, 11, it says this, The whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and the na these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So Daniel is under Darius the Mede. What does that tell us about Babylon? Babylon's gone. Babylon's, it's over. Babylon, the, the reign of Babylon is done. If you remember, uh, Darius the Mede, I believe, is one of the generals that was working under Cyrus the Great. Cyrus the Great is still fighting. And Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 45, right, that Cyrus... His anointed Messiah, Cyrus, his anointed one, was going to turn the people loose from the exile. But Cyrus isn't there yet. It's Darius the Mede who's, who's holding Babylon until Cyrus finishes his stuff. He's, he's about a year from coming and sitting on the throne. And the beginning of Ezra, if you guys just want to kind of put all your timeline together, Ezra chapter 1. Verse 1 might be interesting just to go there. I don't have that slide for you, so you actually got to turn your Bibles. In the book of Ezra, um, Ezra chapter 1, I'm getting so old. 
It's hard for me to see. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. I just want you to listen. Ezra does not appear in the book of Ezra until chapter 9. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia. So you begin the book of Ezra. It's not Ezra talking to us. It's Cyrus, the anointed one that God called before he was born to turn the people loose. So, so Jeremiah, he knows, he knows Leviticus 26. He knows Jeremiah. I don't think it's a stretch that, that he is aware of Isaiah's prophecy of Cyrus the Great being the one to turn people loose. So he prays, Lord, what does this mean? What's going on? What's happening? Anybody been confused ever about the things happening around them? So much so maybe that they cry out to God and ask God what in the world's going on? So that's what's going on in Daniel 9. So the 77s, Jeremiah 25 said, they're going to be under Babylon about 70 years. And they served as refugees under Babylon for about 70 years. Uh, Daniel in the first wave is there. But in, Daniel, in Jeremiah 29, verse 10, it says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise to bring you back to this place. Now, there's a different word here that he uses uh, for thus says the Lord. The word of the Lord coming to Jeremiah. And the word is similar to the English word for decree. That's the word that we see in Ezra when Cyrus says this by the decree of the Lord. And that's the word we see in Daniel 9. Verse 1, when Daniel says, I saw the word of the Lord, the decree of the 70 years. How's this? When does it start? When's it end? And so this is the question that he's going to go. And so there's concerns for Daniel. Were the children of Israel obedient every time God corrected them? So the idea of 7 times 70 is real, right? So I'm going to punish you. Sevenfold, seven times, seven times, seven times. Again, in Daniel 9, 24, we're going to refer to this. They use that same word for the word word. They use the word decreed. Seventy weeks are decreed, promised, covenanted to your people and your holy city. And he's going to give us six things that this 70 weeks is going to fulfill. 490 years, 70 sevens, 70 times seven. The angel Gabriel says there's 70 weeks determined for the nation of Israel and for the holy city, which is Jerusalem, right? So he's going to say, I want you to know this period of 490 years that we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks is dealing with the nation of Israel and it's dealing with the, the city of Jerusalem. All right? Everybody with me so far? Seventy-sevens are decreed about your people and your holy city. Six things that are going to be covered in that. We're going to talk about these. Here are the six things. 
to finish the transgression. The transgression will be finished. Another way, another word, another way to translate that word for transgression is the word rebellion. To finish the rebellion. That's number one. Number two, to put an end to sin. Number three, to atone for iniquity. Number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. How long does everlasting righteousness last? Okay, just so long as you guys understand. To seal the vision and the prophet and to anoint the most holy place. So tonight we're going to talk about those six things so we understand what is included in the 490 years. What's supposed to happen in these 490 years? We want to understand clearly what's being laid out, what's being described for us so that we know what's going on. So again, this hinges on God's sovereignty. This is not something that's up for discussion. It says 70 weeks are decreed, determined. So is it going to end up being 76 weeks? No, 70 weeks. This is, this is by his uh, sovereign decree, 70 weeks are determined. It shall come to pass as it is stated. These six things are going to divide into two parts. The two parts begin first with the sins of the people. Particularly, we're talking about the nation of Israel. And the second part deals with the setting up of the kingdom. First three, the sins of the people. Second three, the setting up of the kingdom. So when we're dealing with the sins of the people, he starts with the first part. To finish the transgression. The word in Hebrew is Pesah. The Pesah against God. The rebellion against God. Is the nation of Israel today submitted to God Almighty? No. So these 70 weeks are determined to accomplish the end of the rebellion. The end of the rebellion, particularly for the nation of Israel. Their transgression shall end. Zechariah 12.10 says this, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Now, as the nation of Israel looked upon their Messiah and wept over the crucifixion. So we're talking about future events, right? And we'll, we'll put the timeline together for you. But I want you to understand the way we do the timeline depends on our understanding of the six things that got to be done. All right? So we have to, we have to bring an end to the rebellion in Zechariah 13. One. It's interesting, too. Zechariah 12, by the way talks about they'll look upon him whom they have pierced this is before crucifixion exists so crucifixion didn't exist now i i don't want you to think nobody ever got pierced the assyrians remember i told you last time the assyrians used to prop bodies up on spears all up and down the highways after they conquered a nation so but it's interesting when you consider the the concept that's being laid out in zechariah predates the, the understanding of crucifixion. Zechariah 13.1, On that day there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem 
to cleanse them from their sin and uncleanness. So there are promises that Jesus made, that God has made to the nation of Israel, right? And so this is what we're talking about. Romans 11.1, Paul is going to touch on the subject in the book of Romans 11. He says, a book of Romans chapter 11, I ask then, has God rejected his people? That's a rhetorical question. If you continue going through the verse, you will see uh, Paul answer. He says, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So he's going to go on to the idea that there's always a remnant of Israel. So there's, is, have, have Jews been saved during this time of the church? Yeah. So the Bible would call that a remnant. Look at verse 5. It says, So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. So there are Jews who will get saved in the time of the church um, moving forward. Is that all there will ever be? Look at verse 11, Romans 11, 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Another rhetorical question. Rather, through their trespass, through their rebellion... Salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass, their rebellion, meant riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more their full inclusion? So Paul alludes to a reality of a full inclusion of the nation of Israel, right? An idea that the nation of Israel... One day is going to recognize their Messiah. Romans eleven twenty five. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. Is it a complete hardening? Have Jews been saved during the time of the church? Yeah, so it's not a complete hardening. Partial hardening has occurred <clears throat> so that uh, upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. When the time of the Gentiles is over. And I would argue that the time of the Gentiles goes back to the exile. To the beginning of the captivity. And Gentiles trampled the holy city from that time to today. Now I know a lot of people would disagree with me because Israel is a nation today. But if you go to Israel today, they're not worshiping Christ. They're not worshiping God. They're, they're, not, they're not even being traditional Jews. They're just people of Jewish heritage who have their own country now, who are probably, the, they would boast somewhere 85, 90% atheist. So to me, that's not a fulfillment of God's promise of the Jews coming back to the land recognizing her Messiah. Does that make sense? So he says, uh, uh, so this will happen. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. So he's talking specifically about the day when all Israel who's in Israel at the return of Messiah, when they turn and they acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Messiah, that's all of Israel who will be saved. Not every Jew saved. The gospel, faith, is still the way that people will be saved. The reason they're all saved at that moment is because they believe, like Zechariah said, they mourn. For the one whom they have pierced, and they will respond to their king, to the return of their king. 
the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob or from Israel. Oftentimes when the Bible describes Israel as Jacob, it means Israel is not in a good state. Right? You, when, you, when do you use your kid's full name? So Jacob has two names. One means liar and the other one means basically something close to governed by God or, or surrendered to God. And so when God calls him liar, then there's probably something about his nature that's being referred to there. <clears throat> so there will come a day when Christ will return and banish all ungodliness from Jacob and then she will be saved. Now, again, I'm talking about the remnant that's going to receive Messiah. Not everybody, you, born a Jew don't make you saved. Everybody understand that? How are we saved? By grace through, it didn't change. Doesn't change just because they're Israel. Okay? But they have, God has made promises to them, I think, that we're going to see those fulfilled. So that's the idea of making an end of the transgression. The end of Israel's rebellion against God. Which, if you read the Old Testament, has been going on a long time. Amen? That's been going on a long time. Pretty much since the beginning of the kings. Actually, I might even argue from Moses, which is Exodus. That's the second book of the Bible. So it didn't take very long, right, for them to, to begin to rebel. The second thing, dealing with the sins of the people, is to make an end of sins. And this is indicating God's judgment over sin. Now, I think the first one to make an end of the uh, transgression has to be looking to the kingdom of Christ. But to make an end of sin, when was sin judged? Sin at the cross. So you have the judgment of, of sin at the cross. So that we have this second statement that talks about making an end of sin. And, and the question is, is this by God's judgment? Now, in the past, in the Old Testament, God would judge. We read in Leviticus, right, 26, God will judge uh, the nations. And then if they repent and return, he forgives. And, and we see them going on. But ultimately, I think this one, the second one and the third one, are very closely related. To make an end of sin, you can make a case that to make an end of sin will be the end of sin, which would also be looking at the kingdom, right? The Bible says at the time of the kingdom, Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign with a rod of iron. There's not going to be a lot of sinning going on. Thousand-year reign, perfect peace. After a seven-year tribulation, tribulation, Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom, Okay. I know you're thinking to yourself, it's been more than 490 years. Just wait. I haven't got there yet. we got to lay some groundwork. All right? Everybody still with me? We're still talking about the six things that have to be done. The third thing dealing with the sins of the people, to atone for iniquity, to make an atonement for wickedness, absolutely points to the crucifixion, an event that ushered in the final stage of human history. It would come during the time of the fourth kingdom from Daniel's second, the, the, the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nebuchadnezzar's dream, head of gold, chest of silver, body of bronze, legs of iron. And then you have that iron degrading down into feet 
of iron mixed with clay. You guys with me? Okay. So what we have is during that fourth kingdom, the iron that's degrading into iron mixed with clay to ten toes, which correspond to ten horns. I won't get too far off track or we'll never get through the rest of it. So what we're seeing is the Bible says in that dream, then from heaven a stone comes out of the heavens and hits the kingdoms of men in the feet and destroys all the kingdoms of men. And they, they go into powder, all right? And they become dust. And then that little rock grows into a mountain that fills the whole earth. And Daniel said that rock and that mountain that fills, fills the whole earth is the kingdom of God. So when did the kingdom of God enter into time? During the reign of the Romans. Who would that have been? Okay, are you guys with me? Now what happened to Rome? Did Rome stay iron forever? No, they kind of degraded, didn't they? They kind of degraded. Now, we're going to talk about why next week... <laughs> Just give you a little snippet about why the timetable is going to run uh, um, consecutive years until a point, until the entrance of that stone into the kingdoms of men. And at that point, it's going to stop. And it, there's going to be a pause that Jesus describes when he comes to the synagogue in Nazareth. He's going to read scripture and he's going to stop at a particular place so that we all know that he's not at that point yet. And because Israel ceases to be a nation and this is a prophecy about the people of Israel and their holy city, the clock, the countdown for 490 years is going to stop right there. And it's not going to start again until the next event that comes prophetically on the horizon. So we, that period of time, we call the church age, the time of the church. That's the time we're in right now, a period of grace, a period wherein Gentiles are getting saved right and left, right? And the remnant of Jews are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And so this is the period we're in now. Whosoever can come. Amen? So they hear the gospel, they respond to the gospel, and the Lord is going to bring them in. So, Scripture says the third thing that these 70 weeks will determine is the atonement of the sin, particularly who is Daniel focused on? Is he worried about our atonement? Whose atonement is he working on? His people, right? And his holy city. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. So God is in Christ reconciling the world and he has granted you and I, right, to Paul, the message of reconciliation, the gospel that we share that reconciles man to God when man receives that gospel by faith. Well, how is it that God's going to reconcile? And has he, did he give us any hints in the scripture? He sure did. In Isaiah 59, verse 20, it says, And a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob, 
who turn from their transgression, declares the Lord. A redeemer will come to Zion. Zion is the holy mountain. The, the oftentimes point to the mountain upon which the temple was, and they would call that Zion. Did Jesus ever go to the temple? Huh. According to Daniel chapter 9, I think they're gonna, he's going to give them such a tight window that they are going to be judged for missing it, for not seeing it. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. This is a section that Jesus read in the synagogue in Nazareth. He read, he opened up the scroll of Isaiah and he turned to the place. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. You guys have heard this, right? To proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus stopped and he closed up the book. And he said to those gathered at the synagogue of Nazareth, Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. And the people try to throw him off a cliff. So, what didn't he read? He didn't read, and the day of vengeance of our God. What do we call the tribulation period? The day of wrath, the wrath of the Lord, which happens to be seven years or one week. So in the 70 weeks of Daniel, this is all precursor. We're going to talk about it more specifically next time. How many weeks are fulfilled if there's one week left? 69. So we're going to see 69 weeks fulfilled. The promises that, that are delivered to Daniel, we'll see those as we break them down. But now we're talking about how is God going to redeem? Well, he's going to bring a redeemer. The redeemer is going to come into Zion. And he's going to be crucified. Now ultimately, he goes on in Isaiah 61 verse 3 to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, so that they might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. So there are some who are going to respond to the message, and there are some who won't. But those who do, he will give them beauty for ashes. Isaiah 53 gives us a little more information about how God's going to accomplish this. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The Lord said in Isaiah that he is, is not weak, he is mighty to save, and he will save by his own arm. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender plant, and out of, and like a root out of dry ground. He has no form or majesty that we should look at him. He's describing Messiah. He has no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we would desire him. He wasn't beautiful. He didn't have beautiful flowing curly hair like the movies have. He looked just like everybody else. He didn't have blue eyes like in a movie. He probably had brown eyes because everybody there has brown eyes. Brown eyes, brown skin, probably brown hair. In a crowd, you would have never picked him out. That's what Isaiah 53 says. You would have never looked at him and he didn't have a halo around him like some of the pictures have. 
so that you would know. He had no beauty that you would desire him. It says in verse 3, he was despised. He was hated and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was hated and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. This is how he will make atonement. Jesus Christ will make a way. The last three, it only took me 30 minutes to do those. I have three minutes to do these. The setting up of the kingdom involves three things. One, to bring in everlasting righteousness. This clearly indicates that the order of society is going to change. Right? I don't care who you elect as president. The next term, we are not going to enter into everlasting righteousness that way. So there's going to be a change in order. We might have temporary periods of blessing because we have a king or a leader who follows the Lord and that brings blessing with it. But what we're looking for is the king of kings to see everlasting righteousness. Jeremiah 23 verse 5 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. That's a play on words. He says, I will raise up for David. There's supposed to be a king that sits on David's throne eternally. He came. He'll never die. So he will reign forever. And he is righteous, not ser. Branch, not ser. Jesus was born in a place called Nazarene. So they called him Jesus the Nazarene. It's a play on words, not said. The branch is pointing to Jesus Christ. He's the branch. They're going to say, can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Well, I don't know. Jeremiah thought something good could come from there. He'll be the branch. He'll reign as king and deal wisely. This is the king we're looking for. Isaiah 9 6 and 7, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be where? On his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, you notice I paused, right? <laughs> Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. This is the eternal kingdom. Isaiah 11 is one that we often think of when we talk about this. It says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So out of the line of David, Jesse's David's father. The stump means it looks like the line's done. There's no more life in the tree. It's all been cut down. But all of a sudden, life's going to come out of it. That life that comes out of it, his name is Jesus. Jesus Christ is going to come out of that place. That's my phone. 
It's time for my pill. It's time for my pills. That song's not going to stop, babe. Well, my, it's in my office. It's going to play for, we can all enjoy it. It's way better than what I sing, so. Okay, here's what he says in Isaiah 11, and then we'll pick up the rest of it next time. But there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch out of the roots shall bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. What did Jesus say at the place in Nazareth? The spirit of the Lord God is upon me, right? The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees. So when he looks at a leper, he's going to run around and scream like everybody else? Or is he going to walk over and touch him and say, be cleansed? He will not judge by what he sees or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor. He will decide the equity for the meek of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Read Revelation 19. When Jesus comes out, it says he fights with the sword that is his word. Coming out of his mouth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will kill the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So Jesus Christ, when we talk about these last three, uh, it's focused on setting up the kingdom, bringing in everlasting righteousness is the first one. We'll look at the last two. I got to take more time on those, so I'm not going to go fast. Uh, To seal up vision and prophecy, we still have to discuss and to anoint the most holy. And then we'll start dissecting. So it'll probably be two more messages now. Sorry. Sometimes Jackie talks too much. But hopefully when we get done, we'll have a good understanding of Daniel 9 and a comprehension about why Daniel 9 is so important to the church, uh, to, to the Christian faith. Because it's going to lay out for us a timeline of what we call the study of end times. Amen? Why don't you guys stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the time we can come study your word, Lord. We thank you for the truth that we find there, God. And Lord, I pray that we always would uh, be men and women who are willing to set our focus, our um, obedience, our direction, our purpose and plan by what your word declares. So God, we pray that you would continue to open our eyes Continue to open our hearts, keep our our minds focused on you, Lord. I pray that we would desire to be good students of your word, not lazy. We wanna we wanna study, we wanna know, we wanna comprehend with all the saints what is the height and breadth and width and depth of the love of God which is seen in Christ Jesus our Lord. We wanna we don't we don't wanna say, well, this is what I believe, so this must be what this means. We wanna take what the word says and and just try to honestly uh, apply what your word is is telling us and speaking to us so god i just pray that you would uh, just encourage our minds and our hearts as we continue to study daniel in the upcoming weeks and lord we pray that uh, that you would continue to guide and lead us we want to honor you in the things we say and do and uh, we give you praise now in jesus name amen